Podcast. My name is Phil, and joining me as always is Rohan. Good morning, how's it going? Good morning, good thanks, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And joining us today is a fellow Aussie from Sydney, is Jared. Hey guys, how are you? Good, thank you. So Jared, we're going to get to all your awesome stuff that you've got happening in your Home Assistant config soon, but first we're going to talk about the latest Home Assistant release, which is 0.73. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of new stuff, mostly around Lovelace. We're not going to go too, too deep into every little change in the Lovelace, uh, but the big change, there's a new iCard, uh, iFrame card, um, so that's... Uh, pretty interesting i i actually didn't realize that wasn't there in lovelace i thought that was there already but well see i th- i actually first saw when lovelace came out i saw the history card mm-hmm. was there and i thought oh i've always wondered how people do that i had no idea it was actually a component that you could just add into your ui but the iframe one that they've just added into lovelace will be good if you want to put in like a grafana stat or something like that yeah exactly so or or a lot of other things like um i know some people want to do like node red uh in an iframe or something like that too right so that's interesting yeah there's also the ability now to set lovelace as your default ui so if you want to instead of having to always navigate to forward slash lovelace you can now just have that as your default when you open up Home Assistant. So I'm looking forward to enabling that. Yeah, right. <laughs> have you been using Lovelace much, Jared? Uh, look, I, uh, I only went to 7.2 yesterday, yesterday morning. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, got my first play with it. Um, I'd already pulled apart all my groups recently to redo all my display anyway. So I was happy to have not finished or, or really got started on that. So uh, yeah, redoing everything in Lovelace at the moment. You can see the start of it in my GitHub. But uh, Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Actually, um, last week's guest, uh, Otto, came out with a script to automatically convert your Home Assistant config into the Lovelace YAML. So if you're interested in that, there'll be links in the show notes for that as well. And another friend of the podcast, Dale, has also created a similar script written in Python, but that also supports packages. So if your Home Assistant config is split up into packages and you want to convert it easily over to Lovelace YAML, there's another script that you can run as well. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, I see a the first starting of the new authentication system for home assistants being worked on as well. Polis as well started doing some great work on that. Yeah. So, so as it turns out, Polis and uh, AwareCan, basically they said, okay, you know what, at for 073, let's try and make a actual, like, let's, let's make something working, right. Rather than just conceptual or, or design or something like that. So, uh, so they sprinted for it. So right now, it's CLI based, right? Uh, only so even even if you want to test it or play around with it, it's not something that you can integrate into the UI or anything right now. But it's CLI based, so they're just trying to get a, get that prototype working. It doesn't have a UI, like I said, and there's no HasIO support in it yet either. So hopefully, we'll actually be seeing something like that soon uh, coming out in the next uh, next couple of releases. That, that's my hope. Yeah, well, I think getting the first one done, you know, laying, laying the groundwork done, getting a good example out there, and then letting other people come in and start creating this, because this is going to be a, a really big change for Home Assistant. You know, right now, the only way to secure Home Assistant is with that API password or your yeah. phone password. So having username and passwords and multi-factor authentication, this is going to be a big step for Home Assistant. So it's better that they do this properly and do it slowly. Yeah, exactly. 
It's certainly not a simple uh, simple solve either, especially when you look at uh, the effects of automations and who should have permission to trigger what automations and Absolutely. and how deep down in the cycle that could go. It um, it's not just a case of like could this person run this. It's uh, it's a much more complex model. So I'm I'm glad too that they're taking the time to to really think it through and implement it well. And there's also a lot of you know satellite services as well. You know you've got you know floor plan, you've got app daemon and yeah. node red. All these things are going to have to be upgraded to use different kinds of authentication. So better to slowly do it and get everything moving in the right direction than all of a sudden just flicking the switch and having all these other services stop working. Yeah, exactly. So you you need to, again, there needs to be a viable mechanism, right? Where it doesn't break everybody's everything before, you, before, (laughs) uh, you know, before people can log in and use it. But but no huge uh, huge shout out to the team for for starting to build that out. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, uh, there's also support for HomeKit controller climate devices. So now you can get your HomeKit thermostats and air conditioners working with Home Assistant. So more great work on HomeKit going along there. So well done to the team there as well. Yeah, and uh, the ratio or ratio. Sprinkler system, there's a little better webhook support now. So rather than, uh, I guess what was happening was it was, it was essentially hitting the server every few seconds and the, the company had to essentially put a, uh, put a, a rate limiter on the API calls. Oh no. I guess it, it's, you know, it, it, they couldn't scale with, uh, with that. Now basically, uh, this uses webhooks so that you get instant updates with a couple of API calls and that's it. Uh, that will actually um, take a little load off Home Assistant as well. Having to instead of having to constantly poll, it can just wait for it to be told what's happened. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of a win-win there. So yeah, uh, some breaking changes uh, in this release: the piehole sensor, which is actually a pretty popular sensor that people are using to integrate with Home Assistant, is now only going to be showing by default the ads blocked for today. So it will no longer show you all the available data. But if you need that, you can go and um, just use the monitored underscore conditions for the sensors that you want to pull into Home Assistant. Once again, just limiting what Home Assistant's pulling down, make it a little bit snappier for Home Assistant. Instead of grabbing everything, just get what Home Assistant needs. So another good move there. Yeah, exactly. The post NL, basically they updated post NL to uh, have the same unit of measure to align with UPS. That's the Netherlands uh, postal service that's, uh, that's out there. So, uh, again, it's just around building more consistency and stuff. So now, um, so, so it was interesting because I was like, well, what's the unit of measure for, yeah, right. for, for postage? Uh, so it's just a number of packages, I guess. <laughs> now they've standardized on packages rather than uh, UPS, which used packages and post NL, I believe used package. So the singular versus right. the plural. So yeah. they're kind of standardizing on a lot of that stuff. So uh, so if you do use the post and sensor, you will uh, you will experience a breaking change. That's cool. I, I appreciate that, you know, I mean, there's maybe just these two platforms that were affected, but it's good to get, you know, a standard out early. So then next week, if another developer comes along and develops a mail add-on for Home Assistant, there's already a standard in place to... Yeah, exactly. Things. Yeah. Um, and Poland.com is now being moved to uh, asynchronous calls, so you might have to update your config there if you're using that sensor, which is a pretty popular one as well, I believe. Yeah, and then and another popular one is from a Prometheus perspective, so if you're not sure what Prometheus is, it's essentially part of that whole monitoring suite uh, that people put together. So uh, they've added namespace uh, for those metrics as well, so you can you can tag that and go on with it. So. Okay, cool. So you might like have 
if you're monitoring multiple services, you could um, prefix it with a, a namespace. I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I believe that's what the idea is. It, it's actually been a it's been a bit since I've used Prometheus, but uh, actually, my, my mine at home is right now is broken, and it has oh, been for awesome. about six months, and I've just not bothered fixing it. I should do that <laughs> at some point, but yeah. Um, there's also been a fix for Z-Wave climate operation mode mappings. So if you have a Z-Wave climate controller, you might want to just take a look on the breaking changes first just to see if there's anything you need to update there. Yeah. Here's one of the things that actually affects me. So anybody who's uh, enabled the use of X forwarded for in a proxy setting. So this is, again, if you're using a reverse proxy or something uh, similar like that, you'll actually need to explicitly whitelist a proxy. Uh, using the new trusted underscore proxies setting about that. So have a look through the uh, release notes for that and uh, and use it accordingly. Okay, cool. I'm guessing that's uh, also in response to a few of the security concerns that came out over the past couple of weeks. So if you are using any forwarded IP settings, I would please go and uh, check that and read that very thoroughly. Yeah. Home Assistant has also deprecated the use of TLS for SSL version 1 and version 1 underscore 1 support. So if you're using those TLS sort of certificates and SSL certificates, they will be dropped in this version of Home Assistant. So just watch out for that. You shouldn't be using them anyway, but just watch out for that. Yeah, exactly. If you're using any sort of modern browser, it, um, I believe TLS 1 and 1.1 are mostly deprecated anyways, so... Yeah, exactly. And some noteworthy changes coming in this week. Jared, actually, this one might apply to you. If you're using any custom components, uh, these are now going to add warnings to your Home Assistant log files. Uh, Nothing's being deprecated, nothing's being changed, but unfortunately there's been a a few instances of uh, custom components causing some issues with users and they're reporting bugs to Home Assistant, which aren't the fault of the core code. So just be mindful that your logs, if you are using custom components, your logs are going to have little warnings in there to say you are using that component. Yeah. Well, I've, uh, I've to date gotten into the habit of making sure my custom components, especially when they're versions of core that I've needed to tweak, have got a very different name. So that um, generally new underscore their component name. Uh, and for, I use the G, I use a modification to GeoRSS to um, make sure I get events published. And I use um, yeah just a couple other custom components. So that's really good to know because uh, I actually have fairly verbose logging on most of the time. So I mm-hmm. it'd probably get lost in the noise anyway. But uh, yeah, good to know for when I tune that yeah. back down. Yeah. Exactly. And if anyone's thinking, oh, hang on, why is this component giving me warnings in my logs now it's not nothing wrong it's just a warning to say you are this component has been loaded did you want it to be loaded just be aware yeah yeah which which is good right it, it's uh you start avoiding a lot more kind of support issues and such as well at that point going why is this acting yeah. weird yeah, well it might exactly. be that custom component right so also um running apps that are on fire tv if you've got those they're now displayed in uh, in home assistant so that's kind of cool i appreciate that feature for my roku's I can see what app is running yeah. on my Roku Media Player. So, you know, I can see if Netflix is running, do this, if Plex is running, do that. So, it's cool that that's actually supported on yeah, TV yeah. now too. Are, are, are there any automations that, you're, that you that you would do with that? Uh, yes. So, when the Roku is running, I can see what apps it's using. So, when Plex is running, I can then tailor my automations based on what the Plex component is doing. So, I can see when Plex is paused, if it's playing or stopped. So I know, okay, if Plex is the app running and Plex is playing, don't send any notifications or 
dim the lights if it's a movie playing. Right, right, right. But then if Netflix is open, I still don't do any notifications, but I, I wait until that app is closed. I can't tell if Netflix is playing or pause, unfortunately, but at least it's a way to, you know, sort of not interrupt. Because I have a Sonos play bar. I don't want the TV cutting out to have an announcement that the dishwasher's done. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Trust me from experience, you don't want that to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I've, uh, I've spent much time working around that situation as well. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like a very specific use case here. <laughs> <laughs> also, a final reminder, if you're using the Google Maps platform, it's now time to get out that credit card and put it behind your Google Maps account or your Google Developers account because you will be shut off on July 16th if you don't. So if you're using the Google Travel Time component, uh, that applies to you. Is that for the Maps integration as well, for the uh, sharing? Uh, no. So I don't think it's for the sharing as well. I think the sharing, basically, you set up as a another user of the um, – yeah, basically you sharing yep. your location with another user. This yeah. is more if you're making API calls to yeah, cool. uh, Google. And also, I think something that uh, needs to be mentioned this week, bad timing maybe with Lovelace, but – uh, on the community forums, a, another UI for Home Assistant's been released called Tileboard. Alexei Ivanov uh, in London has come up with this. It looks like it's a, an Angular JS-based front-end. And the best way I can describe it is it looks like the Windows 10 start menu with um, some nice cards and tiles. So if you're looking for another front-end Home Assistant and you're maybe, home, maybe Lovelace isn't there for you, I would uh, please check out Tileboard. That looks like another great add-on as well. Jared, now uh, now this is kind of where we get to grill you a little bit <laughs> and, and, and see what you're up to. Uh, always something different every day, just about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like, yeah, m- mostly it's trying to get some sort of balance between usability and, uh, and livability with automation. Uh, and, and that's mostly in the form of uh, making sure it's girlfriend usable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fair yeah. enough. Okay. So how long have you been using Home Assistant for? Uh, I started playing with Home Assistant, it would have been November last year, so um, it would have been about October when I first picked up a Google Home, and that's what started the whole journey. Okay, so fairly new. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm a I'm a I'm a Python developer by trade. I'm also a sysadmin, so like uh, Home Assistant was a natural fit in that whole ecosystem. I looked right, through. Yes. I had a look at OpenHab and all the other ones out there. Um, I didn't want to go to Java. I didn't want to uh, go to any other hideous solution. Python was somewhere I was comfortable, and Home Assistant had a great community behind it. So that's why I picked Home Assistant. Good choice. Right. So, so did you actually install and play with any of those other ones, or did you just go straight to straight to Home Assistant? None of the Java ones. Um, I I've spent many years just maintaining JVMs for a living in server farms. I don't want to run Java at home. Uh, <laughs> not, no. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, I, I didn't really play with any Home Assistant. Was one of the very early ones I, I started playing with. Um, I, I did play have a bit of a tinker with Ift and and a few of the other kind of things that could do a bit more than just out of the box, but mm-hmm. uh, no- nothing made me happy until I found and, and started playing with Home Assistant. That's great. So so, uh, so, how are you running it today? Is it on, on a Pi or, or Docker? Or yeah, are you doing it's, uh, it's actually on my, uh, it's on my router gateway box, which happens to be a Nook running Ubuntu 18.04. Cool. Um, yep, so it's, um, it's kind of the main house box. It's also got a, a four-disc J-board attached to it, just USB with uh, a bunch of old media archives and video archives. I do a 
bit of video editing and audio editing. So, um, yeah, it's got my media archives and, and all those kind of things on it as well. It's kind of a, uh, it's designed for a one bedroom apartment. It's a nook with a, a four disc J board on a, a, on a bookshelf, basically. That's cool. So, so you said you're, you're, uh, using that as your gateway as well. So you're running like PFSense or something on it or? Uh, just raw IP tables. I've been a sysadmin for 21 years. IP tables is my friend. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. That's, that's hardcore, man. You don't need any of these new fancy <laughs> tools. You just do it the old school way. Huh? That's, that's yeah, pretty yeah. much it for that stuff. Yeah. So I also run Mosquito internally and, um, and I do a lot of, um, uh, kind of uh, ESP based or Arduino based, uh, DIY projects as well. Uh, so they all pretty much hang off the, the Mosquito MQTT broker. Um, yeah. And that, that gets everything in and out of Home Assistant, and that includes RFID swipe in and out, um, uh, some fish tank monitoring, and other bits and pieces around the house, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I've just been browsing your uh, GitHub repo, and you've got a lot in there. What would you <laughs> say your favorite automation is? What, what's something that you're really proud of? Uh, look, the, the fun one for me at the moment is actually the bathroom because um, it still needs some tinkering. Um, it's not perfect yet. Uh, so in the bathroom, I have uh, it's a uh, a Yee light light bulb. There is a uh, one of the Xiaomi Aquara uh, temperature and humidity sensors, mm-hmm. uh, motion detection, uh, and uh, that's it at the moment. Yeah, and oh, on a button on the door on the way in. So uh, okay. another Xiaomi Aquara, uh, just a Zigbee button. Uh, which I love. Um, but uh, for the bathroom, it's a uh, press the button on the doorway on the way in to turn light on or off toggle uh, or motion detect on the way in. And it's been getting the motion detect to work while someone in the shower has been the fun bit lately. Yeah, so the bathroom is something I have always personally considered off limits. I think, <laughs> you know, other people of my home sort of put up with the home automation to an extent you know, maybe the, the kitchen lights don't work there. Maybe the, the living room lights don't work now and then. But I think, you know, if someone's in the shower or having a bath and the lights don't come on or the lights just turn off when you're left in the dark while you've got running water, I don't think I could justify that. So the bathroom's been right. one that I've sort of steered <laughs> clear of. So kudos to you for having uh, the courage to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything was fine until the the auto lights off uh, automation in there, uh, and that started uh, actually once I put the humidity and temperature and motion sensors in there, I dropped the time out of the motion down to two minutes, not ten, uh, yep. and and that's when I started copying flack for the lights going out while the girlfriend <laughs> was in the shower. Yeah, well, that's a problem. I guess you know one way to detect if the shower is in use is with the humidity, but then it's going to be humid in the shower for a lot longer than when someone's actually been in the bathroom, so. Yeah, I think you're going to have a, a bit of yeah. fun playing with that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And an old colleague of mine who happens to be a Home Assistant user as well uh, and active in the community, Jürgen uh, Weber, he uh, suggested I have a look at the trend component. So um, my latest uh, implementation uses trend to detect an increase in humidity within two minutes. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. You could probably also combine that with like a, a Bayesian sensor as well, sort of giving it more probability, you know, is someone in the bathroom right now or is the shower on? Yeah, both of those would probably work well. So, yeah, yeah that's a work in progress. But it's, um, I, I think today we kind of, I did some more tweaking yesterday, and I think today we got to a state where we didn't have any lights out during showers. So uh, that's always <laughs> good news. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a good day then. Yeah. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So can you tell me more about your RFID scanner, please? I'm really interested yeah, in, cool. in this. Um, yeah, so um, look, I'm, I really want to get um, a really nicely automated uh, entry, exit, and room presence ultimately. So the first step in that was uh, RFID. Basically, it's a ESP2866 microcontroller. It runs a RFID scanner and a buzzer in it. Like the parts are a total of probably 12 or 13 US dollars from AliExpress. Right. Uh, and it's basically a jumper wire them together, no soldering required. They're all kind of just breakout boards with pins and everything already on them. Uh, wired that up and uh, wrote some Arduino C code. Um, I'm a bit of a C coder from way back as well, so I don't mind pulling out a bit of C every now and again. Uh, if that's not, not your style, you could run CircuitPython or something like that on it and, and write it in Python. Um, but uh, yeah, so that does, um, it sits on MQTT. On the other end of the MQTT, there is uh, a little Python script I wrote that basically sits on top of an SQLite database and uh, authenticates tokens. Um, it receives an RFID read event from the scanner, looks in the database, that looks up uh, the token map to uh, a home assistant uh, presence detection person yep. uh, and just sends the MQTT event next onto home assistant to, to flag the next uh, thing, which is that, that particular tag uh, is home or not. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so the reason I did the separation there is because... Um, so, for instance, for me, I can use a, a little blue RFID token I carry on my keys. If I don't have that on me, I can use one of my credit cards or I can use my New South Wales Opal transport card because they all have compatible RFID in them. Interesting. And do you have the yeah. reader on the outside of your door to unlock the door or is it something like once you're inside the house, you tap it yeah. to let home assistant know you're home? I'm not comfortable with um, putting my front door lock anywhere near a network at the moment. Uh, yeah, that's I just, fair enough. Uh, I mean, admittedly, uh, the, the locks that are on the door right now, they're not secure. You know, anyone with a little bit of skill can pick most modern locks anyway. Um, so it's not a huge step, but it's still not something I'm entirely comfortable with. Uh, so, yeah, it's just inside the door. Uh, it, it basically acts as an alarm panel. Um, our RFID tokens arm and disarm the alarm primarily at the stage. The alarm is Home Assistant uh, MQTT panel component. Um, and get yeah, basically all of the alarm function controls from MQTT. Oh, nice. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and ultimately I'll replace that with, um, I've got, I'm playing with some Bluetooth tags at the moment and I want to do full room detection with those. So if we're carrying one of those tags when we get home, it will swipe us in. Now swiping us in also announces a welcome home uh, or a welcome back if you're a guest profile, not a, a you know, me or my girlfriend. Uh, so it welcomes us home or say, says goodbye when we swipe out. Uh, if both of us have swiped out, it actually announces the alarm will be armed in 15 seconds and plays another tone. Uh, and that's all through the, the announcement TTS uh, uh, setup I've done based around MT, uh, MPD, uh, the nice. music player demon. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's say uh, I'm going to give you a scenario because I, yeah. uh, before I moved to Bluetooth, I actually um, started experimenting with NFC tags as a precursor to moving to RFID. Yep. And one of the things was, what if you and your girlfriend both get home at the same time? Do you both have to tap on like you would going on public transport? You both have to tap on to say you're home? <laughs> uh, look, uh, we don't. Bo- we both don't have to, but we both are in the habit of it because if both of us leave, then it'll auto arm. And if one of us gets home, it'll disarm. So right, it's yep. best to keep that state fairly well managed. Um, look, it, it's been uh, a habit forming, to say the least, to get it to the point that it's reliable, uh, just mm-hmm. making sure um, and look, I'm, I'm bad for it too. Sometimes I'll be I'll be rushing out the door and I just won't swipe out, and I'll just log in from uh, to home assistant from the bus and, and log myself out if I've done that. But uh, you know, the uh, Chelsea's probably not going to go that far. Yeah, right. Because I think one of the problems with, uh, for me at least, having you know an NFC or RFID tag to log out is if you forget to log out, your home is essentially unarmed, which I guess is the same with you know, not putting in the pin code before you go out. Yeah. Um, which is why I moved um, to sort of a mix and mash. So now I use uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth which, with just our phones. And that way, if both of those are not home, then that person's not home. And if everyone's not home, then the security system can kick in and arm all the sensors and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the problem I had with those setups was uh, uh, we often have a dead phone or a, yeah, and that's uh, the, and, yeah, yeah. And Chelsea's phone's a little bit out of date now and the battery's not as reliable as right. it is, so it's likely to fall off the network at odd times. So I think we wanted to keep that manual, like we're swiping out, now swiping in. Yeah, I exactly. I feel to it for now. Um, but, I mean, that may change as I play with more of the Bluetooth um, ideas and, and I'm looking at building my own uh, ESP-based uh, Bluetooth uh, room presence detection uh, as a DIY project in the near future. Oh, nice. And so tell me about your, your media player, Damon. What, how does that work? Yeah, so um, as most of us have experienced, we're trying to get TTS-type announcements out through our systems. Um, we clobber other players or we um, clobber messages over the top of each other, and this is something I looked at multiple ways of solving for quite a while. Um, so originally I had, um, all my TTS, so, uh, all my TTS at the moment includes all my alarm announcements. Uh, it also includes, um, for instance, if the rural fire service in New South Wales issues an alert within a hundred kilometers of my house, uh, I am in CBD Sydney, but a hundred kilometers from there, there is, you know, bushfire areas, there's, you know, things to know about any major incidents uh, will come out as a TTS and, uh, and my girlfriend's a bit of a geoscience nut so any earthquake anywhere in the world gets announced if it's over a magnitude oh, four fancy. yeah uh, so that's the that's the USGS feed and the geoscience AU feed think that into that one uh, both with the geo RSS component there for home assistant uh, yeah so there's we, we have a fair bit of announcements uh, we also have a, a turn announcements on and off uh, house go to sleep house wake up uh, overrides which will just shut down all announcements or only allow criticals through and a few other um, options around that so that's all that's all implemented at the moment uh, yeah so taking a step back uh, we, we came from a, a, every time an announcement would happen it would stop our Google Home from playing the music it was currently playing go to the announcement never resume the music again that got annoying yeah. Uh, so I went to putting a little tiny speaker into my Nook and just playing direct audio out of that through using MPD as the player. Um, I found that was the better. The only reason MPD is in the picture is to cue things better as a lightweight cue. 
uh, so we didn't have announcements stomp on each other. It's still a dedicated player just for announcements. Uh, however, it is, yeah, MPDs in that picture just to queue the next thing into there. It still uses the Google TTS component uh, service from within Home Assistant to actually go and turn the, the text into an MP3. Uh, and then it passes that off to the MPD media player, just like the, the component would normally do to, to do a text-to-speech to an entity. Uh, the only reason I have a customization in there for that is to make the TTS component use the NQ option for the media player. So I have a custom version of that, um, the, the media player base uh, component, which which just forces that, sorry, the TTS base component, which just forces that in queuing. Right, and so that will only play through that little speaker on the Nook, is that right? Uh, so the Nook actually controls the playback, uh, and now to get the speaker to get the sound off the Nook, I've gone from that single uh, speaker connected to it to uh, going to the Alexa, going to the Amazon Echo. Sorry, I won't say the other word, uh, <laughs> which is just sitting near it. Um, yeah, so so that is primarily just used for TTS. I don't really, and you might find the same feel uh, in Australia. Uh, we don't have quite the Amazon presence to make the Amazon Echo devices quite as appealing as what they might mm, be to an American yeah, in, or somebody in North America. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we found uh, we found that device to be pretty much useless by itself, um, and I'm happy with, as a Bluetooth speaker just connected to for for, uh, for TTS announcements. There's also a cheap little um, waterproof one for the bathroom, uh, which does get Bluetooth in there as well. If we want to have uh, radio or Bluetooth announcements or the TTS announcements in the bathroom. Okay, cool. So, yeah, basically nothing really changes from a config sort of stance. You just send off a text-to-speech announcement through Home Assistant and then your custom component will then go ahead, put it up into a queue if it needs to be, and then deliver it out to the speakers. Yeah, the only other little bit of smarts in there is uh, when it detects, uh, using DBus, when it detects a um, Bluetooth connect and uh, disconnect for an audio device, one of the two audio devices I use, it will actually enable and disable the MPD output associated with that. So MPD can do multiple outputs, uh, and I have the three outputs, the local speaker and the two Bluetooth defined, and I can just toggle those on and off based on some DBus events. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, and Blue Ads is, is nice like that. It reports everything out to um, to, to Dbus. And in fact, the, there's a BLE tracking component for Home Assistant that I want to rewrite to use Dbus to get that data instead of polling constantly and using as much load as it possibly can. That's cool. So, sounds like you've got this uh, you've got this whole tech to speech thing down pat now. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that that solution. Um, we've, I've also added to that um, the so it's currently still powered by a app daemon script. It doesn't need to be anymore. That was an early attempt to get queuing working. Uh, it kind of worked, but now I've gone back to MPD. I don't actually need that step in there, and I could move it back out to pure um, automation scripts. Right, uh, and that's probably where I, where I'll go next with it. Um, but that also just adds like a, there's a default tone that precedes every message, so it's just not like breaking silence into a message, you get a uh, you get the Star Trek communicator badge tone, actually, for, as default. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, and I think for RFS, there's a bit of a, like, a fire engine gong sound for it. You can, any of the events that call the script.announce, uh, so everything on the entire automation that wants to make an announcement called script.announce with a bunch of parameters, that includes whether it's critical, um, uh, what tone you want to use, whether you need to flash the um, Xiaomi gateway light, a particular color when it happens. Um, there's a bunch of options that can all be built around those announcements too. Ah, that's cool. So do you use Node.js or AppDaemon or do you just do everything in YAML? Uh, so AppDaemon, when I needed to for 
that early version of queuing, and that's the only reason there's still any app daemon left in the, the setup. I'll probably still use it for some other stuff. I, I love the idea of app daemon. Yep. Uh, but just about every hick of mine is YAML, pure Home Assistant, where possible. Yeah, yeah. nice. Um, I, I haven't not even played with Node-RED. Um, I like the idea of it to get beginners in, but I think you guys have discussed plenty of times that you know, if I, I've spent... Um, plenty of time in YAML. I'm an Ansible guy when it comes to automation, and uh, I've used uh, a written API documentation in pure YAML for months at a time, so I'm pretty comfortable using YAML for uh, for configuring Home Assistant. That's cool. Yeah, in fact, the yeah, in fact, the new the new scary config components do scare me a little bit, but um, I think I'll get used to them. <laughs> <laughs> I just deleted my Chromecast configuration in favor of like hitting the enable integration button in the web interface, and um, and that's all I had to do. And that just feels like it. I don't have full control over it anymore, but uh, I, I'm sure there's yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's good behind the scenes. Yeah, it keeps everything consistent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in your GitHub repo, you got uh, you've got a custom component for webhooks uh, with Facebook. What's that all about? Oh yeah. Uh, so any of those TTS announcements go out to a Facebook Messenger uh, that goes to my girlfriend and I. Oh, okay. So oh, we miss nice. also yeah. send it to you on Facebook. Yeah. So if we miss a house announcement or we're not home, we get all of the normal announcements uh, plus alarm announcements on our Facebook. Uh, so the house has a page, and the page owns the app, and yeah. Why did you need to use a, a custom webhook for that, though? Because I have a similar thing, you know, if we're if I'm at work and the front door opens while I'm not there, you know, I get a, a Facebook message, but I just use the standard Notify platform for that. Oh, no, that one. Sorry, yeah, no, the custom component, that was me playing with inbound Facebook so we could control, so we could activate conversation components like the microphone on the top of the Home Assistant web interface. Ah, um, right. So we could do that back to the Facebook chat. Interesting. Yeah, uh, that par- partially works. Okay, so similar to like a, which is something I've wanted to do with my uh, Facebook Messenger is sort of create like a, a bot to talk with the home, you know, tell the bot, turn on the lights, and it will go yes. out to yep. Home Assistant and, and turn yep. on the lights for you. Exactly that, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I would have loved to have hacked the building intercom to trigger the main front door of the building and <laughs> have a friend be able to send a Facebook message to the house and if they're on yeah, Medicaid and have right. the front door open, that would have been amazing. Uh, I haven't been game to hack the building intercom yet, yet. Yes, well, actually, I, I did see. I think there's something sold in um, in the states that uh, it's like a device that you stick onto the phone uh, of our apartment or condo uh, buildings, and uh, when it detects, you know, a an incoming person at your door, it will then uh, intercept that, and then you can have it send back that special tone to unlock the the apartment door downstairs. Okay, the that does sound interesting, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it now, but uh, it was definitely sold in the States. It, it definitely wasn't here in uh, Australia, so your mileage may vary if it will work. <laughs> oh, but, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah oh, my, mm. my, uh, my friend and I were actually trying to find a way to automate that uh, just around like, so he lives in a condo and, he, you know, for him, it's that exact same problem, right? It's like, well, you know, I've got this, you know, I got to send a tone, I got to do all that. Is there, how can I just basically automate that based on who's coming or... Or even just straight open it. Yeah, right. So actually, there's also uh, a lot of other new apartment buildings allow you to um, receive a phone, like uh, they will receive a phone call. So if you want the gate to open, you just call the special phone number, like a mobile number, and it will unlock the gate for you. So if you have one of those, you could probably combine that with uh, something like uh, Trello or one of those voice calling services where you would just give it a, a number to call and then wait for the and just call that number and then the gate would open. So there might be another 
option if you've in one of those apartment buildings and you have a a phone number you can call to unlock the gate that might be an option for you yeah yeah and and well one of the things we've looked at using is uh is to change his phone number that's in the system to uh essentially one of like a router or a server with a sim card in it or something like that and then and actually uh send over the tone it's just we, we've yeah. tried to do a whole bunch of things with this it's it's and then and then, you know laziness kind of kicks in halfway through we, we've like architected this to, <laughs> to like every account for every little possibility of okay what happens if blah 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 happens and it's like all right yeah this is too much work i'm not doing that yeah way too much work <laughs> Hey, Jared, also in your GitHub repo, I saw you have like a fish tank. How have you automated your fish? Uh, so it's that's very much a work in progress. At the moment, it is uh, temperature and uh, sorry, temperature inside the tank uh, and the lamp on top of the tank. Uh, I do have a pH sensor and equivalent uh, and all the bits and pieces I need. I just haven't had time to fully play with it and and get it set up. But I want to do uh, water quality, temperature. Um, the temperature will set alarms off with the rest of the house alarm automations when temperatures vary uh, outside of the range for the tropical fish in the tank. Nice. Um, and ultimately, I want to do automated feeding as well. Uh, there's a couple of options I've looked at for that. One of them would involve 3D printing a bunch of parts and, and a servo. Uh, another one would be getting an off-the-shelf um, electronic fish feeder and hacking the control buttons of it to be controlled by something else. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. So that's the ultimate plans for that. Uh, but at the moment, it just runs the MCU, runs the temperature. It also runs a, a room humidity and pressure, uh, but it's not fish tank related strictly, and it runs the light on top of the tank. Nice. And the light on top of the tank was actually the very first thing we ever automated uh, once we got the Google Home uh, because it was a case of having a way to control it when we were away. And it was uh, originally just using the TP-Link app uh, remotely via the cloud before I built separate networks to lock all of these devices off the cloud. Um, and, uh, yeah. So if you've got all your devices locked off the cloud, how do they, do any of the devices need the cloud? Ah, uh, yes, I have a couple that do. Uh, so Broadlink SP1, no, SP3 switches, uh, they shut down their Wi-Fi, I found, if they don't get a DNS response for about a day. Oh, right. uh, so I give, I give them a fake DNS response and they're happy. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because a lot of people, you know, they're always like, ah, oh, just put all your home automation stuff on, on its own network. But there's some things, you know, for example, your Sonos speakers you know, can't run on their own network because they need to um, access Spotify or any other music service from outside the network. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like your Roku, you can't have that on its own network that's isolated because it needs to stream things. So so the benefit of running the benefit of running Home Assistant on my gateway is that uh, it actually sits across all three VLANs. Ah, interesting. And Home Assistant is the only thing that does sit across all three VLANs in my house. Right, so it has access to everything, but yeah, everything yeah. else is segregated. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, so so the Amazon Echo and the Google Home both sit on a network that does have internet access, obviously, as does the uh, IPTV set-top box yep. uh, and, and other entertainment things that suck down YouTube, basically. They all sit on, on a network that has internet access, but there's no absolutely no reason a light bulb or a power switch needs internet access. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have to give a shout out to you, Jared. Um, you created the uh, a custom component for Internode, which is an ISP down here in Australia, yeah. which uh, I am a customer How's of. That going? <laughs> it's yeah, it's been really good. I haven't done too much. So basically, what your custom component does, if anyone there's another 
random internode customer out there that's listening, your component will go out and fetch uh, the usage. I don't know if it's like an Australian thing. I, I have this feeling that like North America just gets unlimited internet, but out here we get sucked with, you know, caps and data usage limits. And yeah. But, uh, so your, your component allows me to uh, just keep an eye on how much I've used for my monthly quota. And now Home Assistant can tell, you know, if I've used more than 80%, it can, you know, slow down, you know, some uh, background tasks and it can not do other things. So I haven't done too much with it at the moment, uh, apart from uh, I believe if the sensor ever reaches above 85%, uh, all my um, uh, containers like uh, transmission or any of my um, like background tasks will just shut down. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. and then send you notifications everywhere saying, hey, you're, you're running out of data. Exactly, yeah. Yep. So, you know, hey, you're at 90%, like now's the time I'm going to start restricting your Netflix access if you don't stop using it so much, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I remember you made the call out to see, or, or, or I think you asked about an internode plugin for it on the podcast, I think back in episode 20-something, uh, like go. early 20s or, or some point. There uh, you go. I think I reached out to you not long after that, yeah. Exactly. So I have been uh, very happy with that. So thank you for providing that and sharing it with everyone in your GitHub, which we'll leave links to. I will spend the time and make it worthy of being a, a, a core component at some point soon. But, uh, yeah, it has been a busy time lately for me, so uh, lots of fun. But, uh, keep, <laughs> keeping imagine. me busy, yeah. Well, thank you very much for making the time to come on the podcast today and telling us all about the cool stuff yeah. with your home assistant. We will definitely leave links to all your repos that people can check out. I would uh, highly recommend it. Thank you and they can much. all find me on the on the Discord as well. Happy to talk to anybody more about any of the things tonight. Um, yeah, just reach out. Um, uh, as my girlfriend will tell you, I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about my home automation. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? That's why we're here. Huh? <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank you guys too. Um, I love the podcast. I, I, uh, it makes my week or fortnight, whatever it is now. Um, whenever it comes out, I, I jump on it. and uh, uh, It's kind of my uh, – it's the thing now that prompts me to go and check the blog and, and update and things like that. Otherwise, I just get complacent. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys. No, you're welcome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much. Cheers.